This morning, um, we are going to continue our series on the goodness of God. And as we do that, um, we're going to look at a different aspect of God's goodness and what this means for us in our life. You may remember a few years ago, because I kind of couldn't stop talking about it, um, that I got a new truck. And when I say new truck, um, I don't mean new, new, like brand new. I mean new to me um, in that it's a 1992 Ford Ranger. Uh, and uh, I'm very ex- I was very excited when I got this truck. This was the vehicle I always wished I could probably have, like in high school or something. Uh, I was mocked mercilessly by uh, some of the younger people on staff who don't appreciate older things, I guess. And, um, and so one day, um, I think we had to uh, take some stuff uh, I had to take some stuff to the dump that was in the back of my truck, I think for maybe for church or for something. And Matt, Pastor Matt told me that he would help me do this. And so we, we went to the dump, and um, I noticed going in to the dump that um, my gas tank was on empty. It was, e, it, was, it was on E. And I thought, you know, that doesn't mean anything because uh, the other cars that we've driven, like I'm definitely one of those people. It's fine if you respect me less for this. That's fine. I'm one of those people who really gets as much as they can out of that last part of the tank. I've come to learn the limits and how much you can stretch uh, that. Well, one of the things that I've been learning recently is that newer cars seem to be a little better at that maybe than older cars, at least the one uh, that I bought. Uh, and as we were there at the dump and as we were waiting to dump our stuff and then, and then waiting to get out and we were in line with all the cars just sitting and waiting to get out, my car died. Uh, it ran out of gas. Uh, now, this does help with the whole weight thing because you weigh your car going in and out, and that's how they charge you. So I thought, okay, this, you know, maybe not that bad. Um, but as we were right there in this line of cars, God, you know, was right there with us and for us and looked out for us because not very far away was just an empty parking space where all the employees parked their cars. And so, of course, I said, Matt, I command you get out and push. And because uh, and, one of us has to steer, and you've been disrespectful towards the truck so I'm not comfortable with you doing that. And then he pushed the truck into the parking spot. Um, and uh, I, I really feel like he could have pushed a lot faster. I feel like he, uh, he, he, I don't know, I'm just saying. I'm not saying I'm ungrateful. I'm just saying I feel like he could have pushed faster, and he didn't. He really took his time, but that's fine. Um, eventually, we, uh, we got some gas, and we had some fun time together. We shared some, built some shared experiences and memories, and I think the two of us are closer as a result. Um, I have uh, gotten very far in life um, being very used to being near empty. And um, the, the, uh, maybe you're the kind of person who the moment that the, the little you know, gauge gets down low enough, you're like, nope, I'm going right now. It's not even going to get below a quarter of a tank. It may not get below half a tank. Maybe you're always just getting gas. You just love getting gas. I don't know. It is easier here than where I grew up because you don't have to do it yourself. But um, it's, uh, I'm the kind of person who generally has gotten used to driving around with this thing on empty, and I've had to learn that may not always work out. This, uh, this is similar to something that we tend to do in our lives, and we don't often think that we do. Uh, we have a sense, all of us, of kind of emptiness, kind of incompleteness about us. And uh, in fact, it's so common and it's so pervasive that we don't often think about it. We are born, each and every one of us, with this sense that we're sort of incomplete, that we need uh, something in order to actually be something one day. And as we're young, we're little kids, we just assume, well, uh, 
I'll grow up. And that's when that will happen, right? At some point, uh, when I become a grown-up, then I really become who I'm supposed to be. Uh, and we tend to think a lot of times, you know, maybe I'll find somebody and I'll fall in love with that person. As a, as a little kid, you typically aren't starting out there. But as a little kid, you're thinking I'm going to maybe, maybe, you know, become a... a superhero and make millions of dollars. But eventually, you get to a point where you go, maybe I'll find someone. I'll find somebody who loves me, who I love, who is uh, the answer to all my prayers. And through that relationship that we can have, maybe through a family that we can build together, I will know, I will feel like complete. I will feel like I'm enough, like my life is enough, like it means something, it matters in some way for something. And, and then struggle, if it's hard for that to happen, if it's hard to find the right person, if it's hard for family to start when you want it to, then to feel like I'm not able to be complete. Uh, many of us do this with jobs. We say, maybe as I get older, I can uh, become something. I can do something. I can make a name for myself. There's a whole lot of people in this world, and all I got to do is stick out a little bit more to know that I'm actually important in the grand scheme of things, because there's a lot of people in this world. My parents told me I was important. They said I was the best and I was valuable and special and unique. Well, I don't feel that way. So maybe if I'm able to actually accomplish something, do something that matters, that people notice, that people see, then I won't have to feel this sense of, of not being enough, of emptiness anymore. For, for many, maybe even most, it can be as simple as just get a job, buy a house, maybe get some land or something, uh, you know, uh, provide for my family, provide for each other, save enough money to be able to retire, to not have to worry about money. Uh, the idea even a lot of young people have is, man, would there ever be a time in my life when I wouldn't have to worry about not having enough money? Because it doesn't seem like that would be possible. You see, what we find as we go throughout our lives and we pursue these things and we, and we invest ourselves in these things, most of us come to find, if we're honest, that as much as we long for these things to complete us, once we attain them, it's only a matter of time until we realize that they don't. Right? Uh, how, 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 how many have found the right person only to find that they stopped being the right person? They changed or they couldn't live up to the expectations we had for them. How many found upon finally having a family that sense of fulfillment and joy that you were hoping would come from that didn't quite come in the way that you thought? It didn't seem to feel like enough even when you thought that it would. How many have found that the job, the career, or the money that you thought would eventually fill you up enough to make you feel like, I'm enough, I've done enough, I've accomplished enough, actually goes the other way? Is it not the case that those with the most money still stress the most about money? Those who have achieved the most stress the most about achieving more, that those, it seems, who have attained a lot worry about attaining even more. This is because the emptiness that's in us, the incompleteness, isn't actually answered, filled by these things. 
When Jesus began his ministry, one of the things that he encountered the most as he spent time with different kinds of people was that there was this group of people who were very good at trying to fill this emptiness within themselves through something called religion. You see, uh, they recognized that to be right, to be good, was a way of being enough. In fact, many would argue that the most universal way that we try to be enough, to be complete, is just to know that we're actually good people. Unfortunately, what Jesus encountered much of the time was not truly good people, but instead what it looks like when you focus on the things that you do to try to make yourself better, try to make yourself enough. These religious people, these self-justified people that Jesus referred to as self-righteous people, are exactly that. They were people whose value was in their own ability to be good enough for God. And this is such a universal drive for so many that Jesus encountered it again, time and again, time and again. He would have his biggest conflicts with those that were the most convinced that they were right in the eyes of God. Being right is important. This is why every time we scroll through social media, uh, our desire is to either see how right we are or to take some kind of satisfaction from seeing just how wrong other people continue to be because of the value we feel of being right. Jesus fought the hardest with these people, the people who claim to be good. This is why his encounter with one of these people or someone very close to them named Nicodemus tells us some of the most about what it means to fill that emptiness, that void in our lives. If you were to read in John chapter 3, which I'll put up on the screen here, we read the encounter between Jesus and this religious leader. Now, Jesus had spent a lot of time with a lot of messed up people. He seemed to draw a lot of sick people, a lot of, uh, a lot of people with major life problems. He sat with sinners and tax collectors. He, uh, he listened to those that others wouldn't listen to and spend time on and see those that others would look right past. It was for this reason that many of the religious leaders really didn't like him and trust him very much. And then even when a man like Nicodemus had questions... He would go to Jesus, not in the middle of the daytime, in the middle of the temple courtyards, but he would go to him at night. This is what happens when Nicodemus encounters and talks with Jesus. We read in John chapter 3. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. This strange encounter between Jesus and this man, Nicodemus, shows us a profound and earth-shattering explanation for what God does in light of our incompleteness. The truth is, God himself would agree that the state that we are born in is not enough. 
There's a reason we all feel this way, because it's true. Because from the beginning of our lives, there's something missing within us, and universally, we're desperate to fill that void somehow. It's no surprise to think that we feel this way. But Jesus' response to Nicodemus, a man who was so close to the truth, doing the right things, recognized Jesus and called him even teacher. This guy's probably definitely doing a lot better than the disciples were at the time. I mean, if you saw him and saw them, you'd be like, uh, I think this guy might have a little bit more of a, uh, of a handle on what it looks like to actually be a good person than these ridiculous disciple people, guys who are following Jesus around, these fishermen who are way too young and have been passed over by other rabbis. And as this man comes to Jesus, Jesus' response to him is, you must be born again. And he says, what are you talking about? I've already been born. I'm not sure if you know how it works, but I don't think that's very possible. You see, Jesus' statement that we must become completely different things and people entirely makes no sense to this man. Why does it make no sense to him? Well, same reason it's hard for us to wrap our minds around it. When we think of being born again, we don't think of people that look like Nicodemus. We think of people who need a second chance, who have screwed their lives up royally and just need God's grace so they can start over again. Those are the born-again Christians. Those are the ones that needed to meet Jesus to get their life back on track, not guys like this. And it is to guys like this who are so self-righteous that Jesus would say, you have to become a completely different person. Trying to do more isn't going to be enough, is what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. No matter how hard you try, you will not be good enough. No matter how much you accomplish, you will not accomplish enough. No matter how you look in the eyes of others, you will not look good enough. And no matter how hard you try to earn God's love, you won't be able to do it in the state that you're in. You've got to become something totally and completely different. And Nicodemus is like, what are you talking about? This same thing that Jesus is referring to in being born again is something Paul talks about as he writes to the early church. He writes in 2 Corinthians as he's trying to explain to the church, trying to explain to them as, as clearly as possible, this is what I'm talking about for how you guys have got to see yourselves if you're going to be in Christ. He says this to them, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. Paul's words to the church, to the Christians, is if you have been saved by Christ, you are not a better version of the person you were before. You are a completely new creation. We are, says Paul to the church, if we follow Jesus, we are new creations in Christ. And this is the best news that there is the end. Amen. Amen. Anybody else want to say that? Amen. Amen. There you go. They're finally catching on, Jake. We are new creations. How hard is that for us? That is hard because we don't want to be new creations. We want to be better versions of what we were working on when we found Jesus. 
But the good news of the gospel, God's goodness, is that if you have been forgiven by Christ, if you have accepted uh, his forgiveness and you are a part of God's family, you have now become something that is so fundamentally different and new that that longing that you had, that incompleteness that you felt, that void that every single human being on the planet is trying to fill is no longer there. It's gone. So whatever it is that you wanted to accomplish in life, whatever it was that you wanted to earn, whatever it was that you wanted to at least just enjoy while you're alive on this spinning rock, Whatever it was that you wanted to find in that other person, whatever it was that you wanted to see as you grew a family and and had a legacy, whatever that was, that restlessness that you felt, that longing that could never be filled, no matter how many of those things you attained, you don't have to fill that void anymore. You're a new creation. It's over. You've literally accomplished, or more appropriately, he has accomplished something in your life that makes you the biggest deal ever, that makes you fine, that makes you good, and you don't have to try anymore. We are new creations. The problem is this. If you have accepted Christ, if you call yourself a Christian, if you, if you uh, have responded to the gospel, if you've been doing it for a long time, you probably feel like there's still something empty in there. That longing, that desire, those motivations, they still seem to be there. I became a Christian when I was in high school and have still struggled to not pursue or really in giving in continually to pursuing so many other things that a person who doesn't believe in Jesus would pursue in trying to fill that empty void. So how is that possible? How is it that I can be a new creation in Christ? The Bible tells me and Paul argues with the church again and again that that I can be that new creation that I could be completely fine and totally okay and at peace with God and feel that peace and live in that peace and enjoy that peace and enjoy the goodness of God in a profound way that, that is like impossible to even wrap our minds around, it seems, and yet still not feel that way. This is the state of so many. This is the struggle of so many. That this incredible thing has happened for us, to us, and yet somehow we don't feel that way. God is not just good in that he's more satisfying than anything else, like we talked about last week. God is so good because his transformation of us truly does fulfill us. It completes us. It remakes us in a way that nothing else ever could. But the problem is that most of us don't live in light of that goodness, much in the same way that we have access to a God who's so good that we can find more pleasure in him than anything else, we still look to other things for pleasure constantly. We have a God who fulfills us, we have nothing to prove in this life, yet we still continually will live our lives like we have something to prove, like we're not yet complete or fulfilled. 
We read about the way that we love God versus the way he loves us in Hosea in the Old Testament. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? This now is God speaking to the people. What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. Therefore, I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as the light. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. What we read about here is God's love is something that comes with abundance, enough like the rains that water the earth. But our love is different. Our love towards God is this thing that it's there a lot, but it's fleeting. It's like a cloud of mist that burns away in the morning. We all know what that's like right now. It's like dew that dries up very, very quickly as soon as the heat of the sun rises. That we, we go, God, I love you, but then, I, and I'm living in light of that, and I'm living in light of your goodness, but then I'm not. And I am, but then I'm not. There's something about the way that we respond to God that it seems doesn't reflect the kind of love that he has for us, the kind of love that would make sense if we're truly changed. Well, the answer here is simple. Rather than sacrificing to God, which is what we will do, we will try, like the religious leaders, we will try to say, okay, fine, maybe the problem is I just, God wants me to do something now. Now he wants me to prove to him that this was a good investment. He wants me to, he wants me to, to pay him back for the good things that he's done in my life. And maybe if I work really hard to do that, if I can try to clean my act up, if I can try to be a good person, if I can try to have some things that people can see in my life and say, yes, God is good, look at how good that person is, then I'll be okay. Then I'll feel that that void has been filled. Maybe that's what it is. And he says in response again and again in his word, I don't desire sacrifice and offerings from you. I desire mercy. I desire love. I desire knowledge of me and who I am. It is as though focusing on the goodness of who God is, is what sets us right not trying as hard as we can. You see, the problem is that we just can't accept that this amazing thing that has happened is true, many of us. We can't believe it. It's too good to be true. The skepticism manifests itself in this sort of, uh, this love that seems to quickly evaporate so often time and again. Now, do you see why it's so important for us not to just know the good things of God, but to actually believe in the goodness of God? That if we truly believe in and trust in what he has done for us and what that says about who we are, that it changes us in a way that trying really hard isn't going to? The reason why we still, many, many believers, will feel still like there's some emptiness despite being full in Christ, the reason that we will often feel that way is because we live in a, in a world that is, well, it is because we have a propensity to keep working even when we don't need to. And we live in a world that is becoming increasingly more secular, but not in the way that everybody tends to think. 
You see, the way that people responded to this hole inside of ourselves traditionally over thousands and thousands of years was through religion. The idea was you uh, went to church, you went and worshipped, you made sacrifices, you did things, and it was, by, it was by doing that that you made yourself right with the universe and the world. It wasn't really by doing other things. Well, we live in a society where uh, traditional religion is waning, is less and less a part of life, and although everyone predicted, who, who at least predicted that religion would go away, philosophers and ethicists and lots of people uh, who believed they were brilliant predicted eventually it's only going to be a matter of time before... Uh, before religion is dead. The problem is, traditional religion might be less popular than it was before, but we're all just as religious as we were before. You see, in the absence of traditional religion in people's lives, people don't go to church like they used to. The response is people, each of us, filling our lives up with other things that fill the place of religion. We look to be good through other things. It used to be that you went to church. Now it's everything else. People don't exercise anymore. You belong to a movement of people who exercise. You belong to a community and a people. You have a way of life that is a culture-defining thing for you in the way that you care for your body and try to be the absolute best. People don't just eat anymore. It is a near religious experience. The sights and the smells, the ability to curate and bring together what is absolutely perfect for my body in every healthy way. And then, you know, it should look pretty visually appealing too, usually. Because we carry cameras around now. People don't identify with a political party or a candidate anymore. Our politics determine everything about what we consider to be good or evil or who we will even give the time of day to. Why? Because our politics are a religion. Our fitness is a religion. Our creativity is a religion. The author Stephen King once wrote, uh, creativity is the curse of potential. And knowing many artists, I can tell you that that is exactly what they, the burden that they carry. There's something about being told at one point, maybe many of you can remember this in your life, there's a point when you're younger, whatever the thing is that someone tells you, you're really good at this, whether it's being creative or something else. And we then go, oh, well then that means I can... I can invest in that thing. That means that this is my way to make my mark on the world and life and humanity. But those who see themselves that way will often end up feeling like it's a curse. Like there's always this nagging feeling of the potential for what I could have created, the potential for how I could have done, for how successful I could have been, for how good this could have been, but I never quite lived up to that thing. Why? Because when there's still a void within us that we're trying to fill with religion of some kind at all, then we'll, still, we'll end up ruining all of those things. In the same way that if God isn't good enough for us to be satisfied in him, we'll ruin all the other good things in our lives, making them into idols. That if God isn't good enough for us to be fulfilled by him, then we'll ruin all the other good things in life, trying to make them our ambitions in the way that we validate ourselves. The reason why Paul said this, that we're a new creation, the reason why Paul emphasized this so much, because here's the point. The point is this. The good news is this. 
now we are free, but most of us don't feel as free as we actually stand before God. And it's not because we need to work harder and try more. When Paul is writing to the church, he continually uses what's called this creation theology, this new creation theology. He also talks about it in Galatians. And when Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, he, they're not doing very well. Uh, and when he's writing to the church in Galatia, oh boy, it's a whole other level of not doing very well. But in both instances, the problem is that people are trying to work out their faith through their works. The people in Corinth are obsessed with eating meat and not eating meat. There are the, the Gentiles who are saying, oh man, those Jewish people are stuck. They got all these laws and traditions and rules. They got to let that stuff go. They got to learn how to have faith. And all the people who are from the Jewish culture are saying, man, I mean, it just, it's, it's better safe than sorry. It helps. It was in the Old Testament. So really, why aren't they doing it? Really, why not do it? And the church was divided because people were desperately trying to prove that they were righteous. And Paul's like, you guys are not Jews. You're not Gentiles. You guys are new creations completely. So stop worrying about it. In the, the letter to the Galatian church, people had come in and made circumcision an issue. And they had said to people in the faith, they said, if you're really a follower of God, then you'll do these extra things. Most of the times growing up that I heard the phrase, you are a new creation in God, it was used to tell me that I was supposed to be a better person. I heard that phrase from someone saying, so because you're a new creation, shouldn't you be acting this way and living this way and behaving this way and doing these things? Remember, you're a new creation. You should look different. You should be different. That's how I took it. And that's what I tried to do year after year after year always failing. What Paul's saying is not because you're a new creation, go out there and show that you can do better. That leaves us feeling empty inside. That leaves us with a love for God that rises and then fades away, evaporates, burns off in the heat of day. What Paul is saying is let all that stuff go, guys. You got to go back to the fact that you are a completely new creation in him. And that means something amazing has already been done for you. You live in light of this incredible truth. We live in light of what's already been done for us, not what we can do moving forward. And because of that, we are free. If you have life in Christ today, you are free. You're you're complete, and even though you will struggle living in the flesh, even though you will struggle with temptation and with sin in your life, that doesn't change your standing before God, you don't have to prove anything anymore. That's how good God is. And even though we are continuing to go back to this like, but I got it, there's got to be something I can do, there's got to be some way I can show it, there's got to be some way I can measure up, I still want to feel you know, better, maybe compared to everybody else or something, back to us again and again is reminders of just how free we are and that we are truly new creations. When what God has done for you matters more than what you must do for him, that is what it is like to be free. The church is to be a place filled with people more focused on what God has done for us than on what we are supposed to do for God. And sadly, even since the time of Jesus, 
Many would associate Christianity, the very faith named after the Messiah, named after Jesus, with being more like the faith of the Pharisees, those who were trying to achieve. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a part of the church? I've got to do things for God. Jesus came and said, no, you need to understand what God has done for you and me. What God has done matters more than what we can do for him. We live in light of the truth of what has already happened. Not trying to prove or earn it after the fact. So what exactly does it look like for somebody to have a life ahead of them in which that which matters most has already been accomplished? I mean, what does that life look like? Okay, fine. If the most important thing that will ever happen in my life, that I will ever achieve or accomplish or anything in my life, if I'm a Christian, if that's already happened, then what now? What am I supposed to do now? How am I supposed to live now? We get bored pretty easy. What does it look like to live each day knowing that I have nothing to prove or fix or change in order to be complete? What it looks like is this. A person who is finally able to live. We are a people not divided in our ambitions or our goals, not trying to do two things at once, live our life for God and accomplish something ourselves. We are a people who are freed up from all that other stuff so that we can live for him, truly live for him. You ever try to do two things at once? You ever try to do two jobs at once? If you're not Raylene, you probably can't do it. Two jobs for her slowing down, like I said. If you see her like delivering papers on your street or something, you let me know because our limit's at two. Most of us, trying to do two things doesn't work out very well. And we're so busy trying to accomplish something that we don't need to accomplish. That we can't really live in the way that God calls us to live, in the freedom of the gospel, and we can't really live for the gospel. What this looks like is a people who are able to be freed up from all that stuff that you might have to prove, and also all of the things in our life don't have to become potential threats to, to God, don't have to become potential competition for Him because we're not proving anything through those things. You can just be a good parent. You can just be a faithful spouse. You can just work and take joy in your work rather than toil in it because of what you have to prove. You can just be a creative person. You don't have to be the most creative person. Whenever I show my son something on the internet, on like social media, like a hippo eating a buffalo or a jaguar eating an alligator was the last one we saw. First thing he does, he's like, whoa, look at all the likes that got, right? Like the moment that he sees something, the first thing that his eye goes to, it's a jaguar eating an alligator. And he's like, oh yeah, and look at how many likes it got. I'm like, yeah, objectively, I think we can just agree this is pretty awesome. Well, yeah, but the likes agree, and that helps too, right? We are so wrapped up in the bigness that things have to be. And usually it's the most important things to us that we're not free to truly enjoy those things and be those people. And that is what it means to trust that God is good. And what that also means is that there is no age limit on truly living our lives. You see, in a world in which you have to accomplish so much that people, we get 
burnt out and worn out and exhausted and depleted. And then we just say at a certain point, and now I'm done, I've accomplished these things. Or man, I can't believe I thought I could accomplish those things. Man, those people are crazy. I'm done. I'm good. And then we just relax. That isn't the life of a person who is truly complete and living in God either. The life of one who knows what God has accomplished in them is filled with a hope for others to have the gospel. It's filled for a desire to live out their life for the glory of God. At any age, at any point, it never stops. It doesn't stop until you're looking at him face to face. What would it be like to actually be enough in Christ to be able to get up and live our lives from that place? Some of you today know how that feels. You're living in light of that. You know the freedom of that. Most probably struggle to. And if you're here today and you've heard about Jesus, you've heard about God, and you've been exhausting yourself by working and earning and trying to prove to him that you're one of his, stop. If you've given up and you've run away, and literally the only reason you're in this building right now is because it's cooler than outside, then he brought you in here so that you could hear, don't run away, don't give up, don't go away. It's not that you weren't good enough or that you couldn't try hard enough or that you had something to prove that you haven't proved yet. It's that he wants you to know that he has done the work. You need trust in him enough to believe that he's enough, that Christ is enough. That's a hard thing for most of us, but it's true. There is nothing better that we can do as we worship God now than to simply reflect on the fact that he has paid the price for our sins. He has done enough to make us into new creations and to just worship him as we live in the freedom of that. Let's, let's pray and worship together. Father, you are so good. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning who has been around you, who is familiar with you, who has tried hard to earn your love and approval, who has tried hard to show through self-righteousness that they are truly one of the good ones so that they don't have to feel empty and like a failure and incomplete anymore, God, I pray that you would show them the truth of how big you are and what you've done for them, Lord. For those who are, if there's anyone here today who has fled from you, run from you, and long since given up on trying to prove anything because of how bad they see themselves, Lord, would you show them the same thing? If you're here today and that is you, would you just pray these words as we continue to worship today? God, I see that there is something missing in me, that I have felt incomplete and not enough since I was born. And God, I see that that's because of sin and that you are the only remedy for that, God. God, would you forgive me for my sins, for the efforts and the anxieties and the, the, the ways that I've tried to do this myself? And God, would you make me into a new creation? Father, would you be glorified as we worship you and lift up our voices to sing a people who have been made into something new, something totally different from what we were before. Not a group of people who boast that we are better than we were before, that we are better versions of ourselves, but God, we are a new creation in you, Lord. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen.